We certainly have so many things to be looking forward to. We have so many things to be considering in our lives, and it's certainly wonderful to know that we can trust God's plan. We can trust uh, God's providence and His sovereignty in all things, and that we do not have to live in fear, and we don't have to live even in full knowledge of the day of our Lord's return. But it is certain and as sure as those of us that are seated here this morning, and uh, we are grateful for that. Well, I invite you to take your Bible again and go to the third chapter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter number three, and we were looking last week, looking at verses one through six, and if you were here last week or you've listened to the message, we did not get past verse one. So this morning, we are going to attempt to be looking at verses two through six today, uh, and we're going to look first and foremost at the uh, these six verses again, and we'll read those uh, to remind us of the context. Chapter three, verse one. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, profession Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. We want to deal this morning with the subject of Christ is worthy of more glory. Christ is worthy of more glory. Last Sunday, we looked in verse 1 how the writer of Hebrews exhorted us to consider Christ Jesus and to consider him under the character of the apostle and high priest of our profession. Uh, We learned last week that Jesus Christ, of course, was sent of God, John 6, 29, and John 17, 18. And in that text, in verse 1, Christ is termed or characterized as the apostle of our profession, It's an interesting name for our Lord. He's referred to as an apostle of our profession. And in verses 2 through 6, this apostle of our profession is being contrasted with Moses. Uh, Moses, uh, we certainly are familiar with him, I hope. I don't make that assumption. Uh, But for most of us, I think Moses is a familiar individual and a familiar character. Uh, Christ is being compared and contrasted with Moses. And of course, we know uh, the book of Exodus, especially Exodus 3, chapter 10, tells us that Moses was sent by God to deliver Israel. So in effect, Moses was a an apostle of God, if you will. He doesn't have that particular title in Scripture, but he was sent to be an apostle of God. He was a messenger of God. He was sent to not only deliver a message, but to, to, through the power of God to redeem them, uh, to deliver them from the slavery and the bondage of Egypt. Of course, in those days, Aaron was the high priest, So we have this picture of Moses and Aaron, Moses as the apostle, Aaron as the high priest. And what the writer of Hebrews was telling us is that in Jesus Christ, we have the prophet and the priest. He is both. 
So he is, in fact, what Moses was a picture of. He is, in fact, what Aaron was a picture of. They were these pictures of a prophet and a priest that were to come. They are both offices united in Christ Jesus. These are high offices. These are the offices that we are probably most familiar with, uh, prophet and priest. So the Hebrews here and the writer of Hebrews, as we were exhorted to consider Christ as priest and Christ as prophet. Now, we have to set one uh, thing straight here. The intent of these verses is in no way, shape, or form meant to disparage Moses. Uh, This is not a compare and contrast and let's see just how much better uh, Christ is than Moses. That's not the intent of this particular passage. He is not intending to do that at all. But rather what he does is he does show that there is some honor, there is some worthiness that is given to the character of Moses. Uh, Moses, for the most part throughout Scripture, has a very honorable testimony. We don't think about the life of Moses and think, well, that is a, uh, that's a wicked man. Uh, Moses was not perfect. Moses was a sinner like we all are. But Moses was, in fact, uh, on the contrary, uh, he was faithful. Uh, the writer of Hebrews says that Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, we learned on this past Wednesday night about the, uh, the faith of the centurion, how that Jesus marveled at that centurion's faith. Uh, this is not a light statement that's being made about Moses. Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, we could run to the times when Moses failed. We could run to the time when Moses struck the rock when he wasn't supposed to, and because of his, his uh, response, He was told that even though your eyes are not dim, even though you're not at that place, you are not going to go into the promised land. And we think, boy, a testimony that was marred by this event seems so harsh by God. But yet the writer of Hebrews on the inspiration of the Spirit says Moses was faithful. He was faithful in all his house. So this text is not meant to disparage the character of Moses in any way, shape, or form. We also know that Moses was the one who was the lawgiver to Israel. Now, he didn't create the law, but God chose Moses to be the one who delivered the law. The laws were executed under his direction. They were executed under his guidance. And so it was with confidence that the God of Israel was pleased under the inspiration of Scripture to say, Moses is faithful. But with all this being said, we do see that Moses was faithful. Just as Jesus, it says in verse 2, who was faithful to him that appointed him. So Christ Jesus was faithful to his father entirely. Christ never gave a single reason to be called unfaithful by the father. Uh, Although Moses had those blemishes, Christ did not have those blemishes. He did not have those spots. So the difference between Moses and Aaron and Christ is that Christ was the perfect apostle. And Christ was also the perfect priest. He is spotless without blame. So that is what's being compared and contrasted here. So we could say at the outset that Christ Jesus, the Son of God, has greater honor or is worthy of more honor than the servant, not to say that Moses is not faithful. So I hope that that's very clear. So 
we see here that who was faithful to him that appointed him as also Moses was faithful in all his house. What does this mean? Is this a reference to an actual house that Moses was faithful to? No, it means that Moses was faithful to the responsibilities and the trust and the directions and the guidance that God gave to him. Uh, think about this for a moment. Moses had the entire house of Israel. Uh, you think we have, we, we have responsibilities. He had the entire house of Israel under his charge. They were under his leadership. Um, I'm not aware of a pastor on this planet who could have led that kind of a congregation of people. And then even when Moses said, I need help, God gave him help. And he says, I can't speak. I can't go to Pharaoh. I'm going I'm to send you a mouthpiece. Moses was given a great responsibility. At that moment, in that, in that time, think about this. The entire house of Israel was committed to Moses' direction and to his care. In the same effect, Christ as our mediator, as our surety, as our priest, had committed to him all the elect of God. So at this moment, even today, Jesus Christ has committed unto him all the elect of God, and with the elect, he is going to bring all of them to glory. Now Moses could not say at the end of his life, Everybody who was on this journey with me made it. Could he? He couldn't say everyone was faithful. He couldn't say everyone did what they were supposed to do. Everyone was in the place when I directed them, and they all kept the Mosaic law perfectly. No, there were many that fell by the wayside. There were many that fell by unbelief. There are many that fell by grievous sin. But I can tell you something, brethren, this morning, all of the elect of God will be brought to glory through Jesus Christ. And as the elect of God this morning, you have a great encouragement that when that day comes, when Jesus Christ does come and every eye shall see him, you don't have to worry about, is he going to be faithful to bring me home to glory? Because he will. And that's just one of the great reminders that he is certainly worthy of glory. Again, this is not to disparage. Moses in any way. Imagine this, Jesus Christ will not fail to accomplish all that was given to him to do. The Father gave unto the Son all that he would give unto him, and not a single one will he leave behind. In John 6, probably a very familiar passage of Scripture to you, uh, John 6, verses 37 and 39, we're reminded of this uh, great truth again. All that the Father, Jesus says here, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and in and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Jesus Christ was all about the Father's will. He was all about being faithful to that will. Now, the comparisons and the exhortations that we see in Hebrews that the writer is telling us here, he's exhorting us to consider this for two main reasons. First of all, Christ Jesus was appointed by God. Christ Jesus was appointed by God to this work. Uh, oftentimes, we, we miss the reality that Jesus Christ was appointed by God the Father to carry out the work of bringing all of his elect to glory. This appointment, which we know that Christ will not fail in accomplishing, it is still a great reminder. But not only was he appointed, but secondly, he would and will completely fulfill all that the Father commanded him to do. Now, 
I cannot stand before you today and say that everything I promise to do, that I will do. I can't promise to you that I will be faithful to the ministry of this church all my life. I can promise it. I can't guarantee it. None of us can make a guarantee about what we are. We can promise faithfulness even to a spouse. We can promise faithfulness to our children. We can promise faithfulness to our church. But in the reality of the human nature, the depraved, corrupt nature, there is a possibility that we will fail to be faithful. Christ Jesus will never fail to be faithful. He will not fail to bring a single one of his elect home. That is a great source of comfort and assurance for you this morning is to know that he will accomplish all that the Father appointed him to do. Now the comparison with Moses here, he makes them similar to one another in the fact that God appointed them both. They were both appointed rulers over God's house. Israel is being referred to as God's house. And they executed faithfully their office. Somehow, even in Moses' imperfection, he still is declared faithful. He's declared faithful in that he carried out what God had told him to do. We see in verse 3, this comparison goes on. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now again, this is not just a statement that's left without a reason why the statement's being made. Inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honor than the house. That's a powerful verse. Because this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, and inasmuch or as, inasmuch as this is, in other words, is saying, and here's the reason why. The reason is, is because he who builds the house has more honor than the house itself. It's, it's really a great truth here. Our Lord Jesus is considered worthy of much more honor than Moses as the builder of the house is worthy of more honor than the house itself. Now, why would Jesus say this? Now, again, remember, I, I think I mentioned this maybe one of the first messages in Hebrews, that there are people who believe, I don't take this position, that the book of Hebrews is only for Jewish people. That it's only for Jewish converts. It's only for Jewish uh, people. Uh, that, that this has nothing to do with us today. I don't take that position. But there was a tendency that I believe was happening here, that the writer and the inspiration of Scripture is, is heading off at the pass the tendency that people of the Jewish nation or the house of Israel would be, they would be tempted to speak of Moses or Abraham as their father. As a matter of fact, many of those uh, Jews believed that the reason they were part of the family of God was because they had Abraham as their father. They thought their genealogy was what's going to get them to heaven. They were not concerned about Jesus Christ at all. Now, we know scripturally we are of the seed of Abraham. That's one of the promises that was given us. But without Jesus Christ, uh, that, that genealogy back to Abraham would be of no value to us. But yet, this is said to answer that temptation that the Jews might have to speak of Moses or Abraham as their father. Christ and Moses, here's what's happening here. Christ and Moses are not to be compared any more than the builder of a house is to be regarded on the same level as the house. Does everybody see that? If you have a house being built, you don't, count, you don't compare the builder and the house itself and put them on equal footing. Moses was a servant. Moses was a servant over the house, but Christ the Son, the heir, was the builder of the house. The builder of the house is worth much more honor 
than the house itself. Again, it's not to disparage Moses, but rather it's to put Moses in his proper place. Uh, Over in John chapter 9, again, Jesus dealt with these truths uh, in the book of John. John 9 verses 28 and 29. This was a questions being asked of Pharisees were questioning again everything that Jesus did. And we know that this was this man that was blind. And one of the accusations they were making against Jesus is who he claimed to be, of course, which was uh, the commonplace. Uh, John 9 verse 28 says, Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. They were speaking to this blind man who had had his vision given back to him. And the Pharisees say, listen, uh, we don't know who he claims to be. We don't know what he says he is. But I'm going to tell you right now, we're not his disciples. We're Moses' disciples. We know, look again at the wording, we know that God spake unto Moses. And isn't this just like the world today? As for this fellow, Jesus, as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Now, anybody who should have known who Jesus Christ was, was the Jews themselves. They were given the first oracles of God. They were given the first, the gospel first went unto them. And yet here they say, we don't know who he is. Uh, we, We are followers of Moses. So the writer of Hebrews, again, he's answering that very temptation, that if you are tempted to think that Abraham or Moses is your father or that you're his disciples, you're placing your value in the wrong place. The the value is in the builder of the house, not the house itself. Let me say that again. The value is in the builder of the house, not the house itself. Now again, Moses was given command over the house. But even Moses doesn't have proper honor unless he's put in the proper place. So these comparisons tell us that the builder of the house is better than the house itself. Therefore, Christ is greater than Moses. Now again, Moses, if he was here today, would not be insulted by that statement. Hebrew would not be thin-skinned like our society that can't take anything and think it's an insult to me. Well, why can't I be on the same level as Jesus? Because Moses, you're not. Man says today, you're just disparaging me. Your religion makes me feel less valuable. Listen, folks, if Christ is put in proper perspective and in his proper place, and all the things that God has done is put in the proper place, you don't feel of less value. You're brought to a place of humility that the actual builder of the house would set his eyes upon me and would open my eyes and open my ears and make me willing to believe, which leads you to a hallelujah, praise ye the Lord. Moses would not say, well, I'm offended. I think if I hear that phrase one more time, I'm offended. I'm offended every day. It doesn't mean you have to tell everybody about it. And maybe you have to ask yourself the question, why are we offended? The only offense we should really be concerned about is the offense of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who cares what the world thinks about you? Who cares what the world thinks about me? What they think about our choices. But what do they think about Christ? What think ye of Christ? And folks, that's all that should matter to us today. What do I think of Christ? Is he just simply this house or is he the builder? Is he the one 
that is of all value and all of my praise and my honor. The conclusion is simply this, because the builder of the house is God, which cannot be attributed to Moses, Moses could never take credit for being the builder of the house, but rather Moses was a part of the house. Folks, we're not the builder of the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, we didn't lift a hammer to drive a single nail in it. You and I have no rights to claim of even being a builder of the house. We are simply a part of the house. Moses was not the builder, but a part. Christ as Lord made the house. Back in Hebrews, look at verse number 4. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. There has never been a house that has built itself. Every house has a plan. Every house has some sort of an idea of what it's going to be. Sometimes people's plans are, I'll just wing it. And those often don't turn out so well unless you're just a highly skilled builder who can build with no plans. Kudos to you. I couldn't build a house with plans. But rather, this planning and this building of all the things that would make up the house of God is God himself. This reference here to the building, this reference to the house, of course, is the house of God, and we would know it in our language more as the church. Often people want to say that the church did not exist in the Old Testament. I don't take that exact position. I know it, it, was, it was in existence in a different form. But when we look at what Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, when the Pharisees were asking for a sign, again, we read about the signs at the end of the day. We see that Peter's confession of faith in Matthew chapter 16, beginning there in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. I, I love that. He said, the fact, Peter, that you're acknowledging this, who Christ is, this is not flesh and blood that revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven revealed this to you. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whosoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. The saints and the apostles, the church is built by and upon Christ Jesus. All that we receive, we receive from him. 1 Corinthians 3, Paul makes reference to Apollos. He makes reference to the planting and the watering. Paul himself never takes credit as being part of the builder of the house. Even the great apostle Paul doesn't say, hey, you see this modern thing you call the church? The apostle Paul doesn't take credit for even being a builder. He's a part of the house but he's not the builder. You say, but he was laying the foundations of the New Testament church. He was a church planter. 
He's still not the builder of the house. Church planters go all over this country. They go all over this world and they start new churches. And I'm telling you, and sometimes this happens, uh, it becomes very possessive. They begin to say, this is my church. This is my building. I built this. You didn't build anything if that's a church standing for the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're just simply a servant over that house. You say, but I'm the one that put all the sweat and tears and I'm the one that drove the nails. I'm the one that laid the carpet. I'm the one that put the roof on it. You're still not a builder of the house of God. You see, Jesus wanted us to understand, and even Paul would agree with this, you need to understand Christ is God. He's the builder of all things in the spiritual realm and in the natural kingdom. We have this tendency to separate and say, oh yes, Jesus Christ has preeminence in the spiritual realm, but in the physical realm, no. See, without Him, Colossians says, without Him was not anything made that was made. We have nothing that we can look upon and say that Christ didn't build that. So, as a natural result, Christ is to have the eternal honor and glory as the great master builder. But then notice, this text goes on even one step further. It's it's this building, like building blocks. It's, It's building one thought upon the other. And as the writer continues, and Moses verily was faithful in all his house, and he now he declares what Moses really was as a servant. That tells us right there where Moses' position was in this whole picture of God as a servant. Servanthood, modern day Christian servanthood is greatly misunderstood. But servant here, notice here's what a servant really does. For a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. It's really a great truth that's being, being given here. Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of after. That testimony that is being spoken of is still the very thing we're talking about today. Moses was not only a servant, but he was the Lord's servant. Christ as a son was a son over his own house, which we'll see there in just a moment in verse number 6. And he says, whose house we are. But Moses was faithful in that he served with fear. He served with reverence. He served with obedience to all that God had called him to do. In the ministry and of prophecy and of types of writing, he was a testimony to Christ. Although Moses never used the word in the books that he penned, he never uses the word or the phrase Jesus Christ. He wrote of Christ. He spoke of Christ. He was responsible for the building of the tabernacle, which was the greatest type and picture of Christ the Old Testament even gives us a picture of. You know, those parts of the Bible when we get to the tabernacle and we think, well, that's just a bunch of description of a building and a house and a tent. Why does that matter? Because the tabernacle and the temple is all about Christ. It's all about every item in the tabernacle, every item in the the, the tent, everything that was there in the temple is a picture of Christ that was to come. Moses was not the builder, even though he's the one that gave gave the directions, he gave the instructions, he wrote of Christ, he spoke of Christ, he built the tabernacle, but he wasn't a builder of the house. 
In Luke chapter 24, this, we've referenced this a couple of times over the last few weeks, and these passages keep bringing us back here, but Luke 24, of course, we know is the, the resurrection uh, road where Jesus is walking with uh, two disciples. And again, you've probably seen this before, so I don't think I'm giving you anything uh, brand new today. But uh, you'll notice here that um, in this particular appearance, um, he says to his disciples, uh, verse 44, he said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was with, yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. When someone says Christ isn't in the Old Testament, just take them to Luke 24, 44. Jesus' own words were that, that Moses, the law of Moses, the prophet in the Psalms concerning me. Christ himself says, I am all over the Old Testament. It's all about me. Then opened he their understanding. Notice who's doing the opening here. He opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. Here's another one of those proof texts. People love proof text. Here's one right here that says you cannot possibly understand the Scriptures unless it is opened up to you. The fact that we can sit here today and understand a single word of Scripture is not because of our intellect and not because of our knowledge, not because of our education, but because He opens our understanding. You say, well, i got to have a little bit to do with it. I've, I went to a lot of school. I've been to seminary. I've got a Ph.D. I have a doctorate. I applaud you for getting all that you could educational-wise, but your understanding of who God is and understanding of the Scripture is not because of your education. It's because He opens your understanding. You can argue and argue and argue and debate with an, un, with an unsaved, lost person, but until the Spirit opens their understanding, they are not going to understand anything you're telling them. But I take comfort in that because here's the reality. He'll never get it wrong. When the Spirit opens your understanding, He doesn't get it wrong. False religion is a result of man's understanding. It's a result of my level of knowledge. And as was said in Bible study this morning, it's often about the reality of what I think I can attain because I can get this. I can do this. And everything else in our world is about earning or understanding. And yet, here Christ spoke favorably of Moses being faithful. Moses was a faithful servant in his, in his house, that is, in the church, serving the Lord that was to come. But Christ rules and governs his house as the Lord. Churches have all different sorts of structures. It becomes a sort, and I'm not talking about the building itself, I'm talking about the offices, the elders, the pastors, the deacons. There are people who will argue it's supposed to be this way, there's supposed to be plurality of elders, there's supposed to be one pastor, there's supposed to be this many deacons, there's supposed to be this, this, and this. But let me tell you this, the, the ruler of a church is not the elder, it's not the pastor, Jesus Christ is the head, and he is the ruler. And if Jesus Christ one day saw fit to shut a false church down that was doing it wrong, all glory be to Him for removing it. Sometimes we say it is so sad when we see a church close its doors. Sometimes, folks, churches need to close their doors. Sometimes they are sending a message that is not the reality. They're all about being the builder of the house. They're not the builder. And unless Christ becomes the preeminent one in every church, we're doing it wrong. That's why we make much about Christ here. 
to the point that it becomes offensive to some. There are people that have walked out of churches before who've said, this is too much Jesus Christ for me. Just listen to what they just said. How can it be too much of Christ when he is over all and above all and is worthy of more glory and honor? We go back to our text and look at these final couple of verses. The writer continues building on this. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end. Let's just stop there and make sure you understand that this is not something you do in your own power. This is not a tent revival call to you to hold fast. Because here's the reality of every one of our depraved natures. We won't always hold fast. If you're anything like me, you have or will go through a period of time when you'll, you will loosen your hold or think you're loosening your hold on Christ. But thankfully, you're not the one holding him. If it was put in our hands to hold on to Christ, none of you would be here today. None of us would be here singing these hymns. None of us would be here having one concern at all about our eternal soul. None of us would be here saying and rejoicing even if we're doing it quietly today. Praise God that Christ is the builder of the house. And I'm a part of that house that I have no right to claim ownership to. You know, it's amazing. We own things in our life. And when we own them, we tend to be very possessive of them. We tend to be very, uh, this is mine. And that there's always a reminder that you might own the house, but there's still something you owe. Those of you that own houses, or don't make a mortgage payment on anymore, you, find, you make that final payment and you say, I'm going to tear up this deed. And you think, I own my house free and clear. And then the county sends you a Christmas card twice a year. And the Christmas card says, open and pay by this date. And you know what it is? It's property tax. Now, I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. I'm just telling you. What happens if you don't pay that property tax? See, you might own that building, but unless you can pick that building up and not have it on a piece of property that the county owns, you still owe on it. It's an eye-opening experience when people, when you're young, and they say, you know, 30 years after I pay my mortgage off, I can't wait to own this thing free and clear. I won't owe anything. You still owe something. You see, Jesus Christ is the complete builder and owner of it all. There's nothing else owned. And you and I that are in Christ today as residents and servants in that house, we have no right to it. But notice again, he says, whose house we are, Christ is a son over his own house. None are truly Christ, but those who persevere in grace. Listen, there's a lot of nominal Christianity out there. There's a lot of people who when the persecution comes, I'm just telling you, it is going to reveal 
who is truly Christ and who is not. Folks, the things our brethren around this world are enduring, it's a purging and it's approving. This American church is so comfortable, it is so content in its nice, warm, cool, soft, cushioned buildings that we don't understand what real persecution is. And the last two years is still not what many of our brethren are facing around the world. And there are people who are just saying, you know what, this Christianity stuff, I don't want anything to do with it. If the last two years did that to you, you were never in Christ. It's a separating thing. But this is not holding fast, making this this daily affirmation. I'm going to hold on to you today, Christ. It's because I'm His. And the proof is going to be those that endure to the end, those who persevere. It speaks of the testimony of who truly are part of Christ's house. You are not truly part of the house of Christ if you do not hold fast to the confidence and the rejoicing of hope until the end. Let's stop calling temporary Christians Christians. Let's stop calling temporary believers believers. I heard someone say the other day, I used to be a Christian. You didn't ever used to be anything. If you used to be a Christian, you were never a believer to begin with. It's as if you can just turn it off and on. If you are held by Christ, you cannot turn it off and on. Oh, you can wander off like that sheep. But you will never, ever deny and be away from Him fully and totally. I used to be a Christian. And you always have to, you're scared to ask the next question. Well, what made you stop being a Christian? And you know what the number one answer is? Somebody in that church house hurt me. Well, guess what? Somebody in your workplace is going to hurt you. Do you quit your job? Someone at school is going to hurt you. Do you stop going to school? Church is the only thing we can just quit because somebody hurt us. But if you're really Christ, you're going to expect to be hurt. Why do I expect to be hurt even by other Christians? Because we're all still sinners. Why do we act shocked when our spouses hurt us, when our kids hurt us? When we hurt our kids, we hurt our spouses because we're still depraved people. We, we almost act like in shock. I can't believe they raise their voice at me. I can't believe they don't do it more. Folks, that's the reality of who we really are. We couldn't, we couldn't possibly claim any ownership to building something that we, can't even, we cannot even do go a single day without a blemish. But yet Christ has said, there are those that the Father gave me who are mine. Christ was not a servant like Moses was in the same sense. He is the Son, the Master, the heir of all things, whose house we are. Believers in Christ, whether they're Jews, whether they're Gentiles, whatever nationality, whether, whatever their socioeconomic status, they are living stones, First Peter ref- makes reference to, built up in a spiritual house in whom Christ dwells and reigns. Again, don't let these words be understood as a condition of sonship. You are not staying in the faith if you hold fast to confidence and are rejoicing. What it's proving is if you actually ever were in the house. Sons of God, sons of the Most High, those of Christ, will never truly depart from them. Why did the writer of Hebrews tell that? Because you're going to be able to distinguish between the genuine people who've been planted and built by God and those counterfeits. Well, you can't really call someone a counterfeit. That's just not nice. Folks, 
this idea that Jesus Christ was this soft, cuddly, fuzzy, warm person who never offended anybody, who was kind and gentle and calm. Yes, he may have had those characteristics, but he came preaching repentance and flee from the wrath of God to come. I'm reading a book called Gentle and Lowly. It's a good book. There's some things that I'm a little bit concerned about, but the idea is, is that Jesus is this gentle, and he is gentle, he is lowly, and the fact that he came to us and he doesn't cast us out. But at the same time, that author's talking about the reality of that to reject him, to reject Christ, is to reject it all. If you just simply go to church and say, well, I follow God, I read my Bible, that doesn't indicate that you're part of the house. I want to share with you this quote from John Gill. I love this. He, he summarizes this probably in a way better than I can do it. He says, Christ is worthy of more glory than Moses and has it given him by God, angels, and men. He is a greater Savior than Moses. Moses was but a temporal Savior, but he is the author of spiritual and eternal salvation. He is a greater prophet than Moses, being the only begotten Son of God who lay in the bosom of the Father and has declared him his mind and will, his gospel, grace, and truth, as Moses never did. He is a greater king than Moses, being made higher than the kings of the earth. He did more miracles than Moses, had a greater testimony from God than Moses had. Christ Jesus was his beloved son and to be heard. He was also raised from the dead and is set down at the right hand of God as appointed judge of all. He is ministered to and worshiped by angels as believed on by men who ascribe the whole glory of their salvation to him. That really nails it on the head. All glory is ascribed to Christ. Let's think about this as we conclude. The reality was is that the Jews had a very high opinion of the faithfulness of Moses. The writer of Hebrews acknowledges Moses was faithful. But the Jews had a faulty opinion of his faithfulness in that if we are part of Moses' discipleship, then we're good. But remember, even the best of Moses' faithfulness was just simply a picture or a type of Christ's faithfulness. Christ is the master of the house. Christ is the master of his church. Christ is the master of his people as well as their maker. Moses was a faithful servant. Consider Christ Jesus again as we did last week. Consider him as the eternal son of God, the rightful owner, the sovereign ruler of the church, and therefore he is worthy of more glory than Moses. Every meditation on Christ will lead us to these same conclusions, that he alone is worthy. He alone is worthy of all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, without a doubt, there are many other things that could be said and spoken this morning. But Father, you know that your word, as it goes forth, never returns void. Father, I pray now as we meditate and think upon these truths, that Father, our hearts would be stirred, that we would not just simply hear them as words to consider, but to take them as truth. May the Spirit open our eyes and settle these things in our heart. And Lord, if there be one here today that is yet unconverted, we pray today that 
You would make them willing to believe, bring them to repentance, and that they might repent of their sins and believe on Jesus Christ alone. Father, thank you for the glorious privilege it is to preach the gospel. And Lord, may we never take this great privilege for granted. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. You can remain seated as we sing our closing hymn is on page 300. Page 300, My Jesus Fair. Page